Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It was the worst case of suicide the United States has ever seen. I was shocked to hear the news that the convicted pedophile and sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein had committed suicide, though not as shocked and surprised, I suspect, as Mr. Epstein was. If you believe this is a common or garden suicide in jail, I've got a bridge here in London I can sell you at a very, very good price. Either uh, the staff at the correctional facility, a high security outfit in which Mr. Epstein was on suicide watch, are fools or they're knaves. And given the strict conditions around Suicide Watch, and given the gigantic geopolitical importance of the prisoner and his impending trial, you'd have to believe that a group of orangutan would not be so stupid whilst guarding Epstein to allow him the time, space, and material wherewithal to hang himself by the neck until he was dead. I believe right up front from the start, this was no ordinary suicide. It is possible uh, that the guards, the prison authorities took a price, a monetary price, a bribe from Mr. Epstein to switch off their cameras to turn their backs, to go to sleep and allow him to commit suicide. In which case, the New York justice system is even more rotten and corrupt than many of us already believed it to be. Or, by financial consideration, they paved the way in the way that Frank Pentangeli was allowed with his cigars and his brandy to cut his wrists in the bath on a U.S. military base after the failure of his attempt to turn evidence against the Godfather in Godfather II. That's one set of possibilities. My belief is that Epstein was murdered by people as yet unknown to stop this case in its tracks because of the gigantic geopolitical importance that I have referred to. This day, a lot of powerful, rich, and important people have a spring in their step that they didn't have yesterday. They stretch from Mr. Epstein's lawyer, the notorious Professor Alan Dershowitz of Harvard University, 
all the way to Tel Aviv to the former Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, to the former President of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton, his wife, uh, the notorious failed presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton, to Buckingham Palace in London, where the 59-year-old son of Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Andrew, was also one of those ready for a trial which could have been potentially ruinous to his already dwindled reputation. Peter Mandelson, the Lord Mandelson, whose different telephone numbers appeared 15 times in the black book of Jeffrey Epstein. Tony Blair, who flew several times in Mr. Epstein's private jet. Bill Clinton, who allegedly visited a private island where it is alleged dastardly sex crimes against underage girls regularly took place. On his hard drive, the police found thousands of sordid, obscene images of very young girls. This man, fabulously rich, was fabulously connected to the powerful, in the past at least, to the most powerful. Donald J. Trump frequently parted with Jeffrey Epstein. And everyone knows that both men loved to party. President Trump says that he severed all connections with Epstein after a row about real estate 10 years ago. Maybe so, or as we say in Scotland, maybe's I, maybe's no. We'll see about that. We'll see about many things if the United States justice system now steps up to the plate and make sure that none of those who would have been incriminated in the now canceled trial of Jeffrey Epstein are able themselves to walk free from justice given the evidence that exists against them. Or we'll see otherwise that the death of Epstein has closed the book, the black book of the Epstein conspiracy. I have a lot of interest in this case. As you've known, if you've been listening to me over the last few months, because I believe this man and his international connections to have been of great geopolitical importance. You see, I don't believe he was just a dirty, filthy billionaire. I believe that Epstein was more, much more than that. I believe he was an intelligence asset and not merely for United States intelligence at that. And here I give you, if you like, the reason for my deeply personal interest in the case. Epstein's at one time co-accused former girlfriend, alleged madam, alleged pimp, 
is a woman called Ghislaine Maxwell. She's the daughter of Robert Maxwell, the greatest British thief of the 20th century, with whom you can say, I have some history. As a matter of fact, I played a not inconsiderable part in his downfall. Little did I know that just a couple of weeks after the actions I took in Parliament against Robert Maxwell, he too would go to a mysterious death, imagined to be suicide or merely an accident. Another death, I believe, to have been a murder. Robert Maxwell was an extremely powerful British newspaper baron. I accused him, admittedly under parliamentary privilege, there was no other way to make accusations against Robert Maxwell because he would have crushed you under a barrage of expensive legal actions if you had tried it outside. I alleged in Parliament that Mr. Maxwell was an arms dealer, was an agent of the Israeli intelligence service Mossad, that Mr. Maxwell had betrayed the whereabouts in London of the brave Jewish whistleblower Mordechai Vanunu, who came to London to tell the world about Israel's illegal possession of hundreds of undeclared nuclear weapons pointed at the capital cities of all of her neighbors and beyond. I accused Mr. Maxwell of having lured Mordechai to a fate worse as it happens than death. Mordechai was drugged in a honey trap by a blonde woman called Cindy. And when he woke up, he was literally in a box on board an aeroplane from Rome to Israel. When he got off the plane, his jaws were wired together like Hannibal Lecter so that he could not open them and speak the truth at any point over the next more than 20 years, most of which he spent in absolutely solitary confinement. Just weeks after my allegations against Mr. Maxwell, he fell or jumped or was pushed off the back of his expensive yacht and most of his secrets sank to the bottom of the sea with him. Ghislaine Maxwell was the name on the boat. The Lady Ghislaine was the boat from which Mr. Maxwell met his death. So when I saw her name on the manifest, as it were, as a close collaborator with Mr. Epstein, I smelt a familiar rat. And I'm going to do everything I can, as I see the Honorable Craig Murray is doing in print this very evening, in keeping this issue alive, until all those who are named are either shamed or cleared 
in open court in a fair trial. I myself will not allow the death of Epstein to be the end of the matter. Very shortly, we'll be talking to a woman journalist based in Chile, Whitney Webb, who is ahead of everyone else in the entire world's media on the Epstein story and has been right from the beginning. She works for a very fine outfit called Mint Press. Whitney Webb of Mint Press. Look both of them up, follow them. They write a lot of important things and not just about the Epstein case. Elsewhere in the world, we'll be looking at not one, but two possible sites of war, perhaps imminent war, perhaps nuclear war. We'll be talking to Samira Khan about the tinderbox that is Indian-occupied, now Indian-annexed Kashmir. The Hindutva fanatic extremist Prime Minister of India, Mr. Modi, this week revoked Article 370 and Chapter 35A of the Indian Constitution ending the autonomous status of Kashmir, declaring that Kashmir was no longer a disputed or occupied territory, but had been annexed to the Indian Republic. This despite the fact that international law has long declared the territory to be disputed, to be occupied. This despite the fact that China, as well as Pakistan, are up in arms and fury at this act of aggression against both of them, despite the fact that it will take all of India's 800,000 soldiers that are currently occupying what was long known as the paradise on earth. The Valley of Kashmir is now the most militarized place in the world. Why? Because the entire population of occupied Kashmir has risen up as one in rejection of Prime Minister Modi's extraordinary, incendiary, and potentially fatal action. The matter must be raised immediately in the Security Council by China and by Pakistan. The international community better get involved here, because if they don't, the nuclear-armed adversaries of India and Pakistan may very well shortly be at war. And if they go to war, no one can be sure it will not immediately escalate to a nuclear exchange. And the other theater of war, Israel has declared it is joining the American and British naval flotilla 
in the Straits of Hormuz off the coast of the Islamic Republic of Iran. What could possibly go wrong with Israeli warships steaming off the coast of Iran? Iranian leaders have been quick to tell you what could go wrong. In the words of one of them, Tel Aviv will be in smoke if Israeli warships appear on the coastline of Iran. Indeed, even without Israeli warships, this old colonial coalition that is amassing in the Persian Gulf is a clear and present danger to the peace and security of the world. So we're not short of things to talk about this evening on the mother of all talk shows. Hellos from Wendy Friedel watching in the USA, Angie Edwards watching in Australia, Gina Lucrezia in Helsinki in Finland, and Borg Nielsen saying hello from Sweden, Kay Langford off the border of Mexico, and Tim Wilson saying hi to all from France. And on the Facebook and YouTube, a street cam documentary says, good evening, this is the first time I'll be watching your show. Spread the word, my friend. David Buchanan says, here we go, people, get ready for thunder. And Rogue Cow says, was just watching Whitney Webb, who's published extensive reports on Epstein. Excellent, in-depth work. And on Twitter, Danny Burns4 says, I hope it's all about Epstein. And Liam A.R. Ryan01 says, should be good. Let's hear some real live Vox Populi analysis on Epstein. And Shia Numbers says, the Modi government's morale is so high that first they crack down the people, civil liberties, and house arrest seven million people. And now his party wants to make Kashmiri women sex slaves. Shame on these criminals. And uh, Kashif86 says human rights are being violated by Indian forces. The UN should take immediate action and stop this violation and barbarity. India should not be allowed to deprive Kashmiris of their rights. And Fausti2016 says politicians don't give a damn about religion only the religious. And Charles Quint III says, can anyone look at the Epstein suicide and accept the narrative? Look forward to the mother of all talk shows and some spirited discussion. That the prize turnip David Aronovich of the Times was just opining uh, that uh, he felt sure that all the conspiracy theorists would be out on the Epstein story. Frankly, you'd have to be a conspiracy theorist to believe the official narrative. Even more than any of these other recent stories, you'd have to literally be nuts to believe that by pure happenstance, Epstein, unobserved, was able to hang himself by the neck until dead. 02077-982-255, that's the number to call. You call us and we call you back, so it needn't cost you more than a penny or two. And tweet me, at George Galloway, at GG 
Motes. Now our first guest, if we have her on the line, is Whitney Webb of Mint Press News, a journalist and podcaster based in Chile. And I'm glad to say we have her on the screen now. Whitney, welcome warmly to the mother of all talk shows. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the program. You, you were already ahead of the curve on the Epstein story. Did his suicide yesterday morning come as, as much as a surprise to you as it did, no doubt, to him? <laughs> uh, no, frankly, I wasn't surprised. What actually did surprise me is that there were some uh, mainstream American outlets being openly um, skeptical of the official story, including the Washington Post, which went as far to say is that they believe that he was likely uh, murdered because of what people close to him had said and the fact that he described his previous alleged suicide attempt as a murder attempt. Yeah. And that's coming from the Washington Post, right? So apparently they're also conspiracy theorists. Of, uh, of course, also in the early hours after the story broke, there were many conflicting reports of exactly when he went to the hospital. But regardless of whether you believe he committed suicide or something more nefarious, if you believe he committed suicide, um, you know, it's come out even in, in the mainstream press that he had been allowed to commit suicide, apparently, because normally in that prison, there are 30-minute checks on each cell, and it was... It has been acknowledged by mainstream outlets that that did not happen in the case of Epstein's cell on the night of his alleged suicide. So definitely there is more um, to be going on. Uh, uh, there is more to come out here. Um, the latest, as, as far as I have seen, is that they are claiming that the autopsy results are already ready and will, will be released this afternoon, Eastern time in a few hours, which is quite surprising when you consider that toxicology results um, at, you know, often take several days to several weeks to be completed, and this is less than 48 hours um, after his death. And another story that's come out this morning is from the New York Post, and they are alleging that around the same time that Epstein had been taken off suicide watch, uh, U.S. Attorney General William Barr had visited the prison where Epstein was held, which is unusual since the Attorney General does not make visits to individual prisons, um, from what I understand. Now, if he was murdered, Whitney, what would be the short list of reasons why he might be? Well, I think we can see that based on uh, what's happened to the criminal case that was against him because he was the only person indicted. And so that criminal case... Um, dies with Jeffrey Epstein. And so um, that means there will not be a public trial. That also means that all evidence collected via grand jur jury subpoena won't be released to the public. So a lot of powerful people, which Epstein was known to have been collected, are pro uh, connected, are probably, you know, sighing um, with great relief um, <laughs> right now as we speak. So I think that is a good starting point for what may have actually happened here. Um, because uh, it's also worth pointing out, too, that despite the evidence uh, against Epstein, there's also a huge mountain of evidence against his, you know, his supposed girlfriend, his, his alleged procurer of girls, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. And apparently she has not been charged with a crime and no one really even knows where she is. So um, the fact that this criminal case is concluded, um, the fact that the criminal case is not being brought against Ghislaine Maxwell, despite the evidence that has come forward, that she was directly involved in uh, many of Epstein's crimes directly. Um, it tells you a lot about uh, just how badly the Department of Justice really wants to investigate this case. It's quite a contrast with their pursuit of uh, Julian Assange, I must say. Uh, maybe we'll come back to that. 
let's go through the, the rogues, Galère, uh, who have been named and would likely have become important features uh, of any trial uh, of Epstein. Uh, who, who, are the, who are the top names that had something to worry about? Well, um, a lot of the top names, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to exactly who was more worried than other people, but the list of Jeffrey Epstein's contacts is very ex uh, extensive and includes include several politicians, um, prominent bankers, uh, and other, you know, well-known figures um, in U.S. society. Um, and just, you know, I, I believe it was actually just a day before he was found dead, there was a release of documents that, um, of victim uh, depositions and things like that that named people like, um, Bill Richardson, who's a former governor of New Mexico um, and was also in the Clinton administration. Of course, we know that um, the lawyer, Alan Dershowitz, um, has been very adamant um, in trying to convince people that he is not, he was not um, involved in, in the crimes that he has been accused of. And of course, um, that release uh, that came out just before Epstein died, um, was actually a release that Dershowitz was seeking to clear his name. And as soon as, soon as that release uh, was acquired by these people, Epstein ends up dead. I think that's um, a rather uh, interesting coincidence. Yeah, and also Senator, ex-Senator George uh, Mitchell, who was famous this side of the pond for his role in the, uh, the peace process in the north of Ireland. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, right. His name is, uh, has also appeared, as have many others. Um, and, of course, um, one of the most prominent names that we haven't heard about in a while is Leslie Wexner, who is an American businessman um, who's very prominent, and he is believed to be the source of most of Epstein's wealth. We haven't heard much about him in recent days, but he, had, he has received a lot of media scrutiny. I um, mean, I think another figure that is probably sighing with relief is someone also very connected to Wexner as well as Epstein, which is former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, who is currently running— um, 
for for election in the Israeli elections against Netanyahu, and Netanyahu has really been savaging Barack, uh, using his connections to Epstein as fodder to sort of um, distract from Netanyahu's uh, numerous corruption investigations. So what I was, think. Um, uh, what was the relationship between Epstein <laughs> and uh, Ehud Barak? Well, so from what I understand, uh, Barack claimed that he was introduced to Epstein by Shimon Peres, another former prime minister, uh, former prime minister of Israel, and um, it became a very close friendship. And actually, they ended up funding um, a company together called Carbine, which is this sort of 9/11 emergency uh, service provider company that was uh, co that was founded by members of Israeli military intelligence unit 8200. Um, Ehud Barak. Um, is the chairman of that company, and in recent days, he'd been trying to get Epstein, uh, Epstein's name and involvement in the company sort of separated um, to avoid, um, you know, uh, any sort of further scandal. And also, not that not that long ago, there were pictures of um, Epstein uh, of Barack visiting Epstein's townhouse in Manhattan, um, showing that their relationship he's, he's, continued up until his arrest alleged, in July. Allegedly, Ehud Barak slept in the. Apartment, yes, the seventy-seven well. million dollar Manhattan <laughs> yes. uh, apartment. Obviously, you couldn't yes. get a, you couldn't get a hotel room uh, that night. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you why Apparently this not. is uh, of uh, importance beyond the United States. I want to put a thesis to you. If all these powerful and rich people were in any way involved, or could be alleged to be involved in the lurid, sordid sex life of Mr. Epstein, it's inconceivable that Epstein didn't take pictures or recordings or other methods later to gain leverage or, to put it bluntly, blackmail uh, the politicians and bankers and funders. Uh, that he was involved with. Uh, I mean, if he was that kind of a man, he would not balk at uh, videotaping uh, the, uh, the uh, behavior of his friends. And if he was doing that, was he doing it only for himself? Or could he have been doing it for others, including foreign governments? Right. Well, actually, what we know is that um, he did have a lot of places where he invited these powerful people and put him in, put them in contact with these girls that he was exploiting, that they were bugged with um, microphones, with recording equipment for video and audio, and that those were stored. We also know that Alex Acosta, the former Secretary of Labor, who's a former um, also a former lawyer for the firm that defended Epstein and is also the guy that um, helped arrange his, uh, approve his sweetheart, uh, sweetheart deal in 2008, that um, Epstein was alleged to have links to intelligence. Um, and that was why he approved that sweetheart deal. So there's been a lot of speculation as to exactly what intelligence agency he was involved with. And that, at least for mainstream sources, that whole angle has been uh, quite suspiciously dropped since it came out. It first broke out a little bit, but you know, especially now that he's dead, most mainstream reports are just describing him as disgraced billionaire, disgraced financier. They're not describing him as an even as an alleged spy, uh, even though that's coming from you know someone who became the Secretary of Labor and was directly involved well, uh, um, well, look, with it, this case. It won't be dropped here, uh, I can assure you, Whitney. Um, the father of Ghislaine Maxwell was, as I accused him of being in the British <laughs> Parliament, 
30 years ago nearly, uh, was uh, an asset of Israeli intelligence. Yes, so, yes, he was. So much so, he was buried on the Mount of Olives by Mr. Rabin and Mr. Perez. He got a full state funeral. Uh, he from, did, and six uh, heads of Israeli Israel. intelligence. Yeah, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt, but six heads of Israeli intelligence actually attended his funeral as well. Quite so. So that, <laughs> now, that was quite a, a oh, quite sorry. a turnout. A full dress funeral for sure. Uh, now, right. um, Ghislaine Maxwell worked closely with her father. Now, the sins of the father cannot be visited uh, necessarily upon the daughter, though the subsequent course of her life. Uh, not least her life with Epstein, would seem to suggest she has a lot in common uh, with her yes. uh, father. And I'm wondering if one of the things that she had in common was this Israel intelligence connection. Can you tell us anything at all about that? Yeah, well, I think it's very possible. I mean, as soon as uh, Robert Maxwell's suspicious death, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell goes off to New York and shortly thereafter begins her relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. I think that's um, a rather convinced timeline when you consider everything. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell is also um, has an unusual, I guess you could say, resume. I mean, she can pilot submarines, helicopters, airplanes, all sorts of things that are rather unusual for your typical British socialite, as she's described in the press. Um, and as course, uh, and also in my recent reporting, you know, I talk about Robert Maxwell. But I'm also talking about a much larger, you know, network and where Epstein sits, because this is not an isolated case, you know, that begins and ends with Epstein. This is a, a network of people that have been doing these sort of sectional blackmail operations for decades. Um, and they have lots of connections to both uh, U.S. intelligence and Israeli intelligence, with Robert Maxwell being an example. There's a lot of connections to the people that were involved in Iran-Contra in the U.S. and, and abroad um, as well. And Ghislaine Maxwell certainly moved in many of the same circles as her father. Um, for example, Trump was, um, uh, President Trump attended uh, parties on Maxwell's yacht. Um, there, uh, it is known that g there are several pictures that have come out of Ghislaine and, and Jeffrey Epstein uh, at events with Trump. She also became very close to the Clinton family, which is also part of this uh, involved and has many of these same connections with these networks. And they were also, um, alleged to have been involved in some extent with Iran-Contra, so very much she was swimming in the same swamp as her father. Um, so I think it's definitely possible. And also the fact that she has not been indicted or charged in this case. Um, it's to, incredible. She, she did make a number of out-of-court settlements with yes. girls that were accusing her in the earlier round of this uh, affair in, in 2008. But... The fact that nobody even knows which country she's in now uh, right. is itself uh, quite remarkable. What's happened to the U.S. press? Can't they even find a, a, a high-profile English socialite in New York? Well, what I, what I find strange also is that, you know, a lot of these mainstream pundits and all this stuff claim to care about the victims, but if they really wanted justice for them after Epstein's death, I think they should be calling for Ghislaine Maxwell to be at least found and questioned. Exactly. And, you know, I, I honestly think she should be indicted based on the mountain of evidence against her. If it was enough to get Jeffrey Epstein arrested, it should be enough to get Ghislaine Maxwell arrested. And the fact that no one even knows where she is is just startling. And that, to me, 
really more than anything else, I think really highlights that, in fact, that she also, if, if Epstein was alleged to have ties to intelligence that work so closely together, that she also had those same ties to intelligence. I'm sure. Uh, Whitney, kindly uh, stay on the line if you would, because I need to take a quick break and also introduce some callers uh, that perhaps both of us can answer uh, in the course of the next 20 minutes or so. This is the mother of all talk shows. Breaking news, expert analysis, and exclusive stories, yeah, all in one place. Did I do okay? Did work really fast? No, you're brilliant. Brilliant. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. Radio Sputnik, we speak your language. Find us at sputniknews.com. Tune in every Friday to Loud and Clear with Brian Becker for a weekly segment of the worst mainstream media headlines of the week. They tell us what's behind the worst, most misleading, and funniest headlines from around the news with Steve Pat of the blog Left Eye on the News. Together, they pull apart the corporate media's bias, spin, and downright lies. Tune in this Friday and every Friday for the worst and most misleading headlines of the week. The mother of all talk shows. Join our faculty of legends, contributors, and callers. Everyone is welcome. Want to talk? Get in touch with us at radio at sputniknews.com. You're watching the mother of all talk shows, or indeed listening to it across the world on FM, on AM, on Facebook, on YouTube, and across all continents, 02077 that's the number to call, 02077 You can also Skype us at GG Motes, and you can tweet me at George Galloway, at GG Motes. We're talking to Whitney Webb, the young journalist who has been ahead on the Epstein story right from the very, very beginning. And now, well, she was as surprised as I and Epstein himself were when he committed suicide yesterday morning. Uh, thank you, Whitney, for staying on the line, because I want to turn to uh, a rather sensitive matter uh, here in Britain, and that is that uh, one of the sons of Her Majesty the Queen, Prince Andrew, is one of those accused of, he denies it, mm -hmm. but accused of, uh, a sexual assault on an underage girl. In the British media, it merely reports her as a woman, uh, but she was an underage woman, at least according to US law, uh, uh, mm -hmm. when she made these allegations. Uh, what can you tell us about how significant Prince Andrew was as one of the friends of Jeffrey Epstein? Well, from what I understand, um, Epstein's ties to Prince Andrew go back uh, several years, and it actually had to do with the fact that Epstein in the 1980s was working with a lot of uh, arms dealers and defense contractors involved in sort of this Iran-Contra scandal that was developing in the time, and that is how he eventually made the acquaintance of Prince Andrew. They were um, introduced by an arms dealer. I'm blanking on the name. I'm sorry. But from what I understand, Prince Andrew has also um, had a prominent role in arms deals and things like that and exporting um, British arms abroad. So from my understanding, that's how their ties um, 
first became, uh, I guess, um, how, how they first met, really, and, and became friends. Um, and apparently, um, from victim depositions, including the one you referenced, yes, um, he um, is said to have used this girl explicitly uh, for sexual purposes, and this was arranged for him by Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein. Um, she, I believe she said she was either 15 or 16 at the time, and yes, under U.S. law, um, that is uh, qualifies you to be a minor. So um, very illegal stuff, and from what I understand, that he, this was not you know, just one person accusing him. I believe he has more than one accuser as well. Um, and that this was not just one occasion either. This happened on a regular basis. And that um, one uh, that some of the victims described being um, taken to a penthouse or, or an apartment or something that was in Ghislaine uh, Maxwell's name in London. And that's where a lot of this ended up taking place. Um, because this, um, you know, often it's been said that um, a lot of these victims were just taken to Epstein's different properties in various places in the U.S. or in the, uh, the, the Caribbean islands or, or to Paris, but also apparently they were taken to properties that were owned um, by Ghislaine Maxwell. Wow. <clears throat> One doesn't know quite how to uh, respond to that. I'm sure a lot of British listeners will be very interested uh, in it. Uh, a few messages for both of us. Thank you, George and Whitney, for telling the truth, for being brave and righteous. That's from Alexandra M. Sarah says, will they ever release the video or offer us any proof? What pressures are there on the government to tell the truth? Presumably there's CCTV in the cell, Whitney, in which case they could clear well, all this up by releasing it. From what I understand, what, what's been said now is that none of the cameras in that cell block point into the cells. They just show the cell doors. They show who goes in and out. They don't show what actually happens inside the cell. So that's what's being claimed. So uh, you can assume from that that they will not be providing any camera footage of what happened in Epstein. It's, uh, it's remarkable how often there's no CCTV film in CCTV cameras. <laughs> Rupert right. Rivet says... If nothing else tonight, I've learned about Mint Press and the lovely Whitney Webb. And Clive <laughs> said, suicide is common behind bars. This one we heard about because it was newsworthy. Nothing special, nothing to see here. I'm reminded of the scene in, uh, in um, uh, Naked Gun where the, the building is falling apart and airplanes are bombing, people are dying and the hero is saying nothing, nothing to see here. Uh, we've got a caller uh, from Pennsylvania, Jared. If you wouldn't mind staying on the line, let's hear what he has to say by way of a question. Jared, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, hello, George, and uh, um, uh, hello to your guest. I Whitney, know. Whitney but, Webb. Uh, Whitney, yeah. yes, Whitney from Mint Press. Uh, yeah. I, love, I love Mint Press. Yeah. Uh, um, and I want to go a little bit into the conspiracy realm here, that I believe this was a state crime against democracy. Um, I believe that much like John Fitzpatrick Kennedy Jr., um, who was killed by the CIA and National Security Council after saying he wanted to smash the CIA into a thousand pieces after the Bay of Pigs. And then MLK killed a year after coming out against the Vietnam War. And finally, Robert Kennedy, 
who said on the campaign trail that he wanted to investigate his brother's assassination. All three cases have a similarity in the sense that they had a patsy. There was, was uh, criminals who were shooting in other directions but were not prosecuted, such as the cop who killed uh, MLK and was put on trial by the family in the 1990s, which can be looked up. And Just bring us up to date on the Epstein uh, case, uh, if you don't mind, Jared. Oh, sure thing. There has been reports that the um, security cameras have had quote-unquote malfunctions in the prison from uh, NBC News. So they, they clearly, they're clearly hiding the footage from us because they clearly have the CCT uh, uh, footage from this. And in these prisons, these guards, um, they, they can do whatever they want for the most part. They're, they're basically like mini dictators because I have a mother who used to work in um, prisons and she told me all kinds of stories about how the prison guards, they would beat uh, prisoners, they would um, drag them uh, uh, across the floor in uh, front of her, uh, they would, you know, kick them and say, um, well, you're not supposed to leave marks on them because we're supposed to be covering all this up. So it's definitely a good old boys club in there. Well, yeah, it's certainly uh, extraordinary. Thanks, uh, Jared, for that. It is uh, extraordinary that if this was a maximum security unit, the Metropolitan Correctional Center, uh, to which he'd been taken precisely because he was thought to be a suicide risk, was then left in a cell with no cameras pointing in and no one checking that he wasn't getting ready to hang himself by the neck until he was dead. Here's some more, uh, uh, Whitney, from Shrew Ed. Jeffrey Epstein died in the billiard room with the knife, the rope, the lead piping, <laughs> the gun, the wrench, and the candlestick. Hashtag Jeffrey Epstein, hashtag Cluedo. And X-Ray Vision says, George, your monologue had more information on the Epstein case than British mainstream media has had in weeks. And Sean Evans says, will Prince Andrew and all other people accused get away with this? I hope not. Who else will be murdered to help silence justice against the elite? And Declan G says, I wonder if his lawyer has his testimony filed somewhere safe or could they be the next to feel they've had enough of this life? I did make that point, Whitney, earlier, uh, that if Epstein has given his lawyer uh, incendiary and incriminating evidence, uh, I wouldn't myself uh, place too much on the long-term future of that lawyer. Well, actually, I'm not even sure, even if the lawyer has that, that he would release it. Um, I forget his first name, but his last name is Weingarten. And he actually um, co-founded an organization with Eric Holder, who uh, used to be attorney general under Obama. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Norman, we'll see what happens there. 
Norman Jam 67 says, whilst the media are pointing out the link between Epstein and Prince Andrew, can I remind people that Epstein had nine different contact details for Baron Peter Mandelson in his Black Book of Depravity? Well, I don't know if it was in his Black Book of Depravity. It was certainly in his phone book, and it was not nine, but 15 different contact uh, <laughs> details. And X-ray Vision says, suicide or suicided? Now, in my earlier remarks, Whitney, I made the point that, of course, it is one of the possibilities that this correctional facility is run by such ignorant, foolish idiots uh, that they simply missed the suicide of one of the most significant prisoners currently being held in the US justice system. That's possible. It's equally possible that someone, maybe him, maybe someone else, paid for the guards to collectively turn their back and facilitate his suicide, which would, of course, be a very serious criminal offense. Or it's possible that someone killed him to stop this case dead in its tracks. And of those three possibilities, I honestly believe that the third is the more likely. Hmm. What about you? Well, I think I think options two and three are both possible. I mean, either way, this was done with complicity of the people who who worked there, right? So there's no way that this was just some sort of like, oh, we forgot to check his cell, um, and he happened to commit suicide, even though he had been on suicide watch just a few days prior, apparently, to, to this happening. Um, I just find that very the the fact that they're expecting people to take that story at face value. Um, I find that very naive. Um, if he had staged it, I mean, I, um, or the, if he had paid people to turn uh, their back so that he could do it um, and paid people off, I mean, it is possible to pay off people in these prisons. Actually, the New York Post today claimed, uh, cited um, a source saying that, you know, that this prison, it was very easy to pay and get things into the prison in the early 90s when he was uh, making regular visits there to see people that he knew that were in prison during that time. So that is a possibility. Um, it is also possible that someone paid the prison guards not to turn their backs necessarily uh, to the cell to let Epstein kill himself, but they, they turned their backs to let something happen to Epstein in his cell that came from someone else, uh, which would be the third option, as you mentioned it. Um, yeah. Murder. yeah. <laughs> now, here's an interesting angle. What do you think of suggestions that Epstein's death is fake? Doubt it myself, says the war on you. But I recall your suspicions regarding Kenneth Lay. I'd be interested in your position. This is essentially uh, a strain of thought uh, that the body that we saw a small uh, snap pick of today was not, in fact, him. And that somehow he has been whisked away so as not to face justice. And someone entirely different will be planted in the ground in his Stead. This was uh, suspected by many people uh, about the mysterious mm -hmm. Kenneth Lay, the former head of Enron, who was uh, cremated very, very quickly uh, as soon as the company began its uh, collapse. Uh, cremated, but not necessarily dead. Uh, wh wh where do you stand on that? It's, it must be at the outer edge of possibilities, I know. 
Well, I would put it at the outer edge of possibilities, but the fact, let's again remember that Epstein was said to have been linked to intelligence. Once you bring intelligence into it, um, you know, if this, uh, if Epstein was not uh, alleged to have intelligence links, I would be infinitely more skeptical skeptical of that charge than I am now, um, because the CIA um, has, well, it has, it has a uh, intelligence agencies. They often turn on their own assets and agents and kill them when they become a liability. So I think, you know, that well, makes that, that the most that, likely. But they also whisk people away, and they have yeah. done that before. So well, that, that um, the whole well intelligence be, variable. You see, that may very well be what happened to Robert Maxwell, uh, that having been an asset of seven different heads of <laughs> Israeli intelligence, having been a, a, a great asset of the state of Israel over half a century or more, uh, as his theft of hundreds of millions of pounds of his own employees' pension funds uh, began to emerge, and I was the first person publicly to accuse him uh, of the theft of these pensions, uh, the balance of his service changes. Uh, mm -hmm. then, then he's better dead and we'll give him a very good burial uh, on the Mount of Olives. The same could well have happened here, couldn't it? Yes, I think so. I think so. So where does this go from here? You've got some important new writing about to come out, don't you? Yeah, well, I've been doing a four-part series where I really try and explore what I mentioned earlier, which is this network in which Epstein operated, because he, he Epstein was not an isolated case, like I said. So part four is going to be the conclusion of that. I'm I'm going to be go, go uh, I'm going to go over um, the parts that I haven't gotten to yet, um, which include uh, a lot of the Clinton ties, a lot of focus on Epstein, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, and some other figures that are in this network I haven't mentioned yet, including Lynn Forrester to Rothschild and um, Mark Rich, who, uh, for people that don't know, was also uh, an alleged Mossad agent like Robert Maxwell, that like Robert Maxwell was also cl close to this mega group uh, that has also been somewhat implicated in the in the Epstein network. So What's, I'll be exploring that. Now, uh, how do people read that? Mintpress.com, yes. is it? Uh, Mintpressnews.com. Mintpressnews.com. They can follow you on Twitter, follow Mint Press uh, on Twitter. This story, uh, might not necessarily die along with Epstein. It might not be buried uh, along with him. Because, of course, uh, the two parts, the dichotomy of American power at the moment, uh, are compromised by Epstein. But my guess is that the Clinton and Democratic Party camp is compromised more, in which case the Trump part of the polity might well have an interest in making some of this information that would otherwise be buried uh, reappear. What do you say? Well, I think if they do that, they'd use it just to, um, I think both parties are heavily implicated. I think this is a very bipartisan thing and deeply involved the Republican Party as well. Um, I talk about this in part two of my series, just the extent of Republican involvement. I'm getting to the Democrats in, in part four. But I think definitely Trump has already made it pretty clear that he's trying to weaponize this, um, you know, against the Clintons specifically. And not to say the Clintons aren't guilty of being associated with Jeffrey Epstein, but what he is trying to do there is sort of obfuscate the fact uh, you know, turn this into a partisan, to, uh, you know, tool for his re-election campaign, right? Even though he's not running against Clinton this time, sort of to 
accused the Democrats of being, uh, ex you know, only Democrats are, are involved in this sort of activity, which is false. Um, for anyone that was following U.S. media um, after Epstein's arrest, it was quite clear that people on the left were saying, oh, Epstein and Trump, and people on the right were saying Epstein and Clinton. And that ultimately distracts from what was really going on, that this was a bipartisan thing with ties to intelligence that was exploiting underage uh, boys and girls, and uh, that really needs to be investigated, saying that this belonged just to, you know, that all of this had to do with one party and not the other party really distracts from the issue and just further um, exacerbates the divisiveness of American politics today. Well, you're well out of it in Chile, I must say. Uh, and <laughs> yes. everyone should follow you. Uh, underscore Whitney Webb, is that your Twitter handle? Uh, yes, sir underscore Whitney Webb. I hope we can talk again. I encourage everyone to read your four-parter and all the parts Thank that you. I'm sure are still to uh, come. Stay safe. Whitney Webb, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Samira Khan is on the line. Samira, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, now, we know what's happened. But I think a lot right. of people are puzzled about why it's happened. Why did Prime Minister Modi take this action now? Well, like you said, he intended to force a demographic change, as in to reduce uh, the Muslim majority to a, mi a minority. And a lot of people don't know this, but I think uh, about six other states have the same special status that Jammu and Kashmir had. But no one wanted to change those um, because, of course, Jammu and Kashmir is the only Muslim majority state in India. So that should tell you a lot. Um, they also want to uh, weaken Kashmir's status as internationally recognized disputed territory and undermine Pakistan's claim to it, of course. But this move was in the BJP manifesto, so this should come as no surprise. They campaigned on it, and that should show how popular it is in India. Yeah, I mean, it was in the manifesto, but they didn't implement it until this week. I'm wondering if there was any trigger... Uh involved this time that made him do it? A lot of people say that it was Trump's offer to mediate and renewed calls for um, international intervention on it. I think that could be a reason, but um, Modi is the most nationalistic and, and ethno-fascist uh, leader that India has seen in decades and maybe even in India's history. So I'm not surprised that this move came. Now, the first act, as such uh, acts always are accompanied by, the shutting down of the internet, the cutting of telephone lines, the harassment of journalists, the blocking of their footage, and so on. So how do we know what is happening inside the territory? And if we know, tell us what we know. Well, we're not getting much information from Kashmir. Um, there were a few BBC videos that came out. Um, but until the lockdown is completely over, we're not going to get the info. But I've noticed that a lot of Western journalists, they've kind of portrayed it as if um, human rights violations just started out of nowhere after uh, the Article 370 and Article 35A were revoked. But... Um, 
700,000 troops have been occupying Kashmir for decades, and hundreds of thousands have been killed. Tens of thousands have been disappeared. But no call to BDS India. I find that very interesting. Well, it has been going on almost exactly the same length of time as the Israel-Palestine question. And, of course, British colonial rule is a common denominator to uh, both. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the problem in Kashmir is that when all the different parts of India chose whether to stay with India or go to Pakistan, the people of Kashmir were cheated out mm -hmm. of the ability to go to Pakistan. They were not allowed to by their princely ruler. But the UN has a policy now, what, 60 years or more old, that there must be a plebiscite in Kashmir so the people mm -hmm. can decide their future. Why is more not being made of that? You know, that's exactly my question. Um, unfortunately, uh, like to add what you said, even in 1947, when they were deciding whether or not to join India, not only um, were Kashmiris denied the choice, but um, Jammu, which was 60% Muslim, uh, the RSS changed the demographics of that uh, area. They massacred around 250,000 Muslims. So the population today stands at around 60% Hindu and 30% Muslim. This like is in the, Jammu, in the Jammu bit. Right, right. Yeah. But, you know, I am, I, like, I'm not too optimistic about uh, international resolution of the Kashmir crisis because I, I think we're way past that point. If the UN didn't intervene to hold a plebiscite, I don't think that they're going to intervene to stop annexation, which is, I, I think, Pakistan and China's hope. They're going to the Security Council um, presumably with this demand. Why would you risk uh, picking a fight with China at the same time? They're always picking exactly. a fight with Pakistan. But why would Modi want to pick a fight with China? Well, in his view, um, as expressed by Amit Shah, his home minister, uh, he literally said in Parliament the other day that Aksai Chin, which is Chinese Kashmir, and Azad Kashmir, which is Pakistani Kashmir, are part of India. And this to them is the fulfillment of their of the RSS strategy of, you know, United India. Um, to them, the great Indian empire extends from Afghanistan to Myanmar. They even uh, say that they're going to annex everything and form a United India. They promise to exterminate Islam and Christianity by 2021. So in the broader context, um, this is a, a fulfillment of that strategy. So we're dealing with a 21st century Nazism, and nobody cares. It's really sad. I did read in uh, the Israeli press in Haaretz the other day uh, a very powerful description of the uh, Hindu fanatic uh, leadership of the RSS, which has a big influence, of course, on Modi and his own party, the BJP. Uh, the Israeli press pointed out the uh, fascistic Nazi nature of that uh, ideology. Help the listeners with, uh, with who these people are. Well, they were formed, I think, in 1925 or, or sometime in the 20s. And um, their ideology was based literally on Nazism and Italian fascism. Um, 
the founder of Hindutva, his name is Veer Savarkar, in his book, he said that he would follow the ideals of Nazism. And when he was asked to answer a question about how Muslims would be treated in India, he said that to an American during the time of Jim Crow laws, he said that they would be treated as the African Americans are treated in the United States. So that should tell you how fascistic and crazy they are. And they have expansionist goals. But you're in a conundrum here because Modi's a very popular leader. He just won a smashing uh, a new mandate in the Indian elections. Yes, he did. And um, like I said, he, he, this particular move, he campaigned on that. Um, the entire election, I followed the election very closely, uh, full of um, a nuclear threat to, to Pakistan and anti-China propaganda. Uh, sinophobic sentiment. It was really disgusting to see it. And liberals, liberals lost this election because, you know, they're known as the soft Hindutva party. But because of their neoliberal ideology, a lot of Indians felt uh, disenchanted by them and their role and all of their economic promises. So they decided to go with the fascists, which is a trend that we are seeing everywhere. How fascinating. Samira Khan, as always, thank you very much indeed for uh, kicking off what I think will be a discussion that will run throughout the show on the situation in occupied Kashmir. Let's take another quick break. How did such a person manage to make so many powerful friends? What was it that first attracted them to the rather unattractive Mr. Epstein? What was it about his lifestyle? Was it his money? Was it his predilection uh, for exploiting, using, remorselessly grinding young girls' lives into the dust? I've been reading some of the statements from those who were his victims, many of whose lives were completely ruined by the treatment that they received at the hands of Mr. Epstein and his grisly girlfriend and grisly crew. But in that case, what attracted someone like Professor Alan Dershowitz to uh, Mr. Epstein? Surely the Nobel professor of Harvard University uh, was, was above that kind of thing. Surely he was not attracted to that kind of lifestyle. So why was he so close to Mr. Epstein? Why did he get a massage in Mr. Epstein's uh, uh, fantastic uh, Manhattan townhouse, even though he insisted it was a massage from a very elderly Bulgarian? I'm not making that alibi up. What was it that attracted Prince Andrew uh, to Mr. Epstein, or Peter Mandelson, or Tony Blair, or Bill Clinton, or Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump, or Mr. Wexner. What, what was it that first attracted them to the charms of the billionaire Jeffrey Epstein? I suppose we should be grateful that he was in America and not here, because he'd almost certainly be in the House of Lords if he had been. I've got a caller on the line. Uh, I didn't catch the name or the place. If uh, Tamar, if you could say it again. Tony? 
Tony and Mersey side, welcome. Good evening, George. Hope you're well, my friend. By the grace of God, I'm good. Coming your way in, uh, in October uh, to the Linear Hotel. I'll give you the details later. Lovely. Um, George, uh, normally uh, in this scenario, I think the question would be Quay Bono to benefit, but I think there's so many people that do benefit. I think it would be it all night if we went to We would, just listing them, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's quite ironic that we had unsealed testimony, which was uh, lifted from embargo on Friday, and unfortunately for Mr. Epstein, the following day he finds himself dead, apparently. It's uh, exceedingly, it, exceedingly unfortunate, yes. Yeah, apparently he managed to trip over in his cell and his neck ended up in a noose, which was well, just... Well, you uh, know, how, 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 does, uh, how does a prisoner that important on suicide watch in a specialised unit for people that are on suicide watch, how does he get a noose into the cell? This would be one of the most uh, covered, i.e., in, uh, in terms of CCTV areas in no the doubt. United States. No, no, I mean, on, on, on it's a beyond, it's, bite, it's Tony, it's beyond all credulity yep. that there were no cameras pointing in to his cell. So the guards couldn't sit in their bucky and look at what was happening in his cell on their computer screen. That's just ridiculous. That's elementary, dear Watson. Absolutely, George. I mean, you know yourself, they have a central observation post where they would have split screens and would see basically every inch of that uh, penitentiary. Of course. Of so course. It, it, does, it, does, it does stretch in. Or he could have been doing anything in the cell. He could have had, had a young child in the cell. He could have been sawing through the bars in the cell. Could have been injecting himself with uh, hard drugs in the cell. Could have been doing anything in the cell. They didn't know because they didn't have a camera in it. Yeah, if you, if you believe that, you'll believe anything, Tony. George, at, at this minute now, around the world, we have hard drives being beaten with hammers and soaked in buckets of salt water. Absolutely, there are so many people implicated in what's going on here. Uh, I think you're, you're well aware, I'm sure your listeners and your viewers are well aware that on board his private jet, uh, he had audio and visual recordings, and likewise on, on the so-called Epstein Island. Um, this guy had some friends, and it, in inverted commas, uh, obviously certain friends can come in very useful, especially when you've got dirt on the uh, character uh, and blemishes, in, obviously on their CV, shall we yeah. say, to be, to, to be kind to these people, if it's possible to be kind to these kind of people. Now, I, I do agree. I think there is definitely uh, a, an element of the intelligence services using Epstein um, to gain that dirt on these people so they could be manipulated at a later date when they became useful, useful idiots. But when they did actually become useful, um, they certainly could be manipulated at that point. And I think that's where the paedophile rings come in, George. I think if these people are not really inclined to be around paedophile rings, they are induced to be coming so, because it's very convenient then for the people who would like to, you know, carry that dirt and obviously hold that dirt against them. Because basically you're talking about drugs, you're talking about drink, and you're talking about young children. You, people applied with drugs, applied with drink, uh, they get down and do what they, you know, what, what they do uh, with, with these poor young children, and then that is obviously... Um, it's videoed, and yeah. it's also... They it's, also it's, I mean, the audio it's, it's so obvious, Tony, uh, that yep. if he was getting these powerful people to do these things, he must have been recording them doing them. And if he recorded them doing them, that recording then becomes of great value 
to intelligence services, uh, even just to know. But the capacity for blackmail is enormous, of course, especially if it's, uh, you know, once upon a time, uh, Lord Lambton would be found in bed with a hooker, uh, but at least the hooker was an adult woman uh, who was uh, acting uh, in full knowledge and responsibility, and it was all consensual. But these are girls, children, that were Absolutely. literally trafficked in and on to this island and into Miami and into London, we now hear from uh, Whitney Webb, into Paris. Uh, these were children that were be. I mean, the number of laws broken in just that paragraph I've just spoken is, uh, is enormous. And so the blackmail potential of all that, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes to work that out. Absolutely, George. There's one other thing as well. If Epstein was inclined to be working for intelligence services, he would have certainly have backed up the uh, information on various hard drives and probably placed them with people strategically in the event that what happens, you know, does happen to him, is mm. uh, his demise does, you know, does come about. In which case, it may not be. This could not be just, you know, dead in terms of the case dying with him because obviously Ghislaine Maxwell wasn't indicted. It's possible that he could instruct uh, various solicitors unknown mm. to uh, people he may be working for in inverted commas, could, could possibly release the information on, on the events of his untimely death. So, you know, I think that this, this will go on and on and on. It doesn't, I don't think it necessarily will die with him because it, he, he would certainly be bright enough. And there's also, George, I'm sure you know, th th there's a great deal of suspicion about this, this so-called wealth that this guy generated because he didn't seem to do a great deal in his life. No, no, he became, became a billionaire become... remarkably easily, I must say. He did, yeah. He, I think around about the he, time he probably got various passports given he, to him as well. He became a billionaire. and He, he, uh, he, he, he was he became... a teacher, by the way, even though he dropped out of college and had no uh, university or college uh, qualifications. And That's he was right. given a job as a teacher by Mr. Barr, who was the head teacher of a distinguished private school. Who is Mr. Barr? He's the father of today's Attorney General Barr, who we're now told visited the prison the day before the man commits suicide. Curiouser, oh. curiouser and curiouser. Thanks, uh, Tony. See you in Liverpool, I hope. Let's hear from Alex in Manchester. Go ahead, Alex. Hi, George. Hi. Uh, big fan, and I really respect your work, and I just want to say thank you very much for helping solve the problem of um, the mainstream media. Thank you. Um, refusing to report things. Yeah. Um, to point out, um, there's a couple of things that I don't know um, what the answers are. Maybe you can fill me in. One of them is um, Robert Maxwell's daughter. Where is she? And a lot of people think she's the handler of Epstein. Um, also want to know why the mainstream media is like refusing to report this sort of mm. information yeah. and explain Well, let me deal why. with that point first, then I'll come back to you. Uh, it was understandable in the 80s uh, when Robert Maxwell owned a very large part of the British press. He owned the Daily Mirror, the Sunday Mirror, the Daily Record, the Sunday Mail, the People, the European. Uh, he owned 
uh, a very big part of the uh, architecture of the British media and people were scared of him and so they didn't report uh, on what he was doing and that's why I had to do it in Parliament. But no such circumstances exist today. So I'm going to amplify your question, which is a good one. How can it be possible that the daughter of Robert Maxwell's whereabouts are unknown to the international media? She was a British socialite, a New York socialite. She was Epstein's handler or madam or pimp or girlfriend or all of these things. It is not possible that her whereabouts can be unknown. Back to you, Alex. There was also this couple of other things as well regarding her. And the fact that, um, I'm not sure, I forgot the name of the lady in Australia, which um, actually... Yeah, she's one Prince, of the victims, um, yeah. Yeah, one of the victims. The Australian lady also put her into the picture of one of the people who abused the children. So yeah, she said she, she helped in the questioned. abuse. Well, that's right. That's right, yeah. Well, she made out At of court settlements. With, uh, no, she made out of court settlements when Epstein was first tried in a sweetheart uh, deal in 2008. Uh, and uh, those cases thereby fell. Uh, by private arrangement, by presumably the exchange of uh, significant sums of money. But there are still extant, including from the Australian lady, uh, clear accusations of criminal conduct against Ghislaine Maxwell, but there is no charge against Ghislaine. Why? And there's also this Swedish girl as well, yeah. the underage Swedish girl that also pointed all this out as well. Yeah. Um, the second question was um, exactly why the media is not reporting this properly. Yeah, well, uh, that tells you, I think, uh, that the intelligence aspects of this case are very much larger, perhaps even than we know. Uh, because maybe, this is great copy, isn't it? I mean, maybe, if, if I were a, a genuine, legit newspaper publisher, I'd be devoting 16 pages to this tomorrow. But there won't be. True. Uh, could, it, could this actually be a honey trap um, uh, intelligence service going on? Well, Maxwell entrapped Mordecai Vanunu uh, in a honey trap. Cindy, mm -hmm. the blonde lady at the uh, amusement yeah. arcade in uh, Leicester Square, who uh, induced uh, Mordecai to go back to her hotel room, drugged him and he woke up in a box in a plane from Rome on its way to Tel Aviv. Uh, so honey traps exist. Uh, the Maxwell family have a great deal of experience of them. Uh, so the answer to your question is uh, yes, it very well may have been. So would you think that the intelligence service is Israel, not the CIA or MI6? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, these uh, intelligence agencies all work together, uh, so it's possible to be an asset of more than one of them. But the presence of Ghislaine Maxwell in the picture uh, makes me lean towards the Israeli intelligence angle. And Israeli intelligence and U.S. intelligence, of course, are two sides of the same coin. Well, based off what you're saying, it sounds like you and I are on both on the same page. 
Well, wouldn't be the first time, I'm sure. Thanks for the call, Alex. Let's go to Imran in Luton. Go ahead, Imran. Hi, George. Um, Hi. I want to discuss this um, Jeffrey Epstein case. Yeah. Um, I think in some ways maybe you, you've been a, maybe a little bit naive. Um, That's my middle, it's my middle name, Imran. I mean that respectfully. Um, <laughs> I think it's so obvious um, Jeffrey Epstein's suicide doesn't sound right. Um, that, that can't be a mistake. I think I believe I said that. Meaning it's intentional. It's to sort of maybe send a message to that the establishment are still in control. Um, they can pull off something as blatant as this, make it so obvious to everybody, and yet they'll get away with it. Well, they're not away with it yet. Um, it's uh, raging, even as we heard from Whitney in the, in the Washington Post, uh, which has said that they believe that Epstein was murdered. Uh, they haven't got away with it yet, Imran. A couple of weeks ago, um, Laura Pidcock, she gave a talk in um, Durham, and she mentioned how difficult it is marching towards a socialist government under Jeremy, Camp, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. And it's difficult every day being attacked, every day being insulted. Um, I also think we talk about an establishment and we think it's relatively... Sorry, George, you're cutting out, sorry. I'm talking at the top of you, I apologise. No, I'm not talking, um, no. I'm, I'm, I'm listening avidly. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, I don't think the establishment is simply just a handful of small people. There may be people at the top of this pyramid that sort of work towards manipulating the world in the way that they see fit. But they have an army of people. So a smaller example is Labour, OK? You've got the Labour membership, and they're all working towards, at the moment, the majority, towards a Labour socialist government. What Laura Pidcock was trying to say was that don't be disheartened by the attacks. And I think at the moment, the establishment feel like they're being attacked. In America, you've got Bernie Sanders. All right, he's probably not going to win the nomination, unfortunately. It'd probably be Joe Biden. But if he does get through, I think everything that's been happening to Jeremy Corbyn over here will start happening to him. Um, I think it's the people who work towards maybe it to a social socialist government, the people who are working towards a capitalist system, they're also being disheartened. And maybe when things like this happen, it's the establishment saying to them as a message, we're in control. Things are in our hands. Okay, Imran, uh, it wasn't a great line, but it was a good call. Thanks very much for it. Andrew's on the line now. Andrew. Uh, hello, George. How's it going? Very good, Andrew. Where are you? Uh, uh, well, I'm a Scottish guy. Uh, I'm working for Plymouth today. On, uh, oh, in Plymouth. Uh, yeah, I'm working on uh, the doctor. Okay. George, uh, I'm a big fan. What I want to know is, is how is it, see, with this Einstein situation, and you can understand, was why is it, see, the, the internment camps in Ireland, and internment uh, camps in Britain, what I don't understand is why is the American government getting away with what they're doing to this man? Because well, it's ridiculous. Well, uh, of course, uh, the US justice system is uh, a very dark and uh, dangerous place. There can be uh, nowhere more dangerous to be on the earth than be in a U.S. prison. 
Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, a prisoner as valuable as him at the center of a case that was clearly going to rivet the entire nation and for many months uh, an O.J. Simpson type televised yep. extravaganza it is beyond all credulity that he uh, that he uh, was in a cell with no camera and well, that nobody checked on him. Well, George, do what scares me is this is what's happened for been happening for years. You've seen the internment camps, and you've seen Guantanamo Bay. You've seen all ways America to be held accountable for this. It's always in the media. They don't accept what they're doing. And I find it very ridiculous. I find it very upsetting human, human rights. Very good, Andrew. I, I agree with all with all of that. Let's take Ali in Stevenage. Go ahead, Ali. Oh, in hey, Sweden. what's up, George? In Sweden, that's a lot farther away than Stevenage. Tamar will have good, to speak a bit good, more good clearly evening, and a bit more good slowly. Evening. Go ahead. Good evening, George. Good evening, sir. Uh, mate, I, I just want to say before I get to my point that um, I've been uh, a lot of active uh, in, in the in the politics sphere, uh, so to say, since a, since a young age. Okay, me too. And uh, and yeah, <laughs> but the first time I saw you, I just uh, happened to see you on uh, on YouTube actually when you were uh, in the United States uh, because of the, some uh, well the, some uh, the bullshit. Oh, sorry, the uh, Senate, some. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some allegations they put against you, which, yeah. but uh, you really opened up my eyes. Good, that was a good day for me, that. Yeah, yeah, but I, I really, I, I need to pay my respect to you and all the work that you have done. Thank in you, all sir. Years. Thank that you, was... sir. Thank you. Now, what would you like to say? I would like to say on the topic of the Epstein case. Yeah. So, actually, so they released a couple of days ago about 4,000 uh, files that was just um, that was sealed before, yeah. but now they're open to the public. Yeah. So I've been sifting through a lot of these files. Okay. And there's a lot of connections. So if you, so if people think that it all only ended up uh, with Epstein with his death, it really didn't, because this is a serious network, a really big network. It's, it, it's quite worldwide with a lot of high-profile people that are involved mm. within this thing. Mm. And, um, Why do high-profile uh, people get involved with someone like him? What's the well, what's the attraction? Well, well, the the main thing I would say, to be honest, is that these people they run in the similar circles, so to say, and uh, they get uh, introduced to one another, and there's different aspects to it. A lot of it has to do with the intelligence aspect of it. So uh, basically. If you know a man, if you have studied history, and as a student of history, as I like to think myself as, uh, during FBI's earlier days, when under the control of uh, a certain man, what was his name? J. Edgar uh, Hoover. Yeah, exactly, J. Edgar Hoover. Mm -hmm. Now, that man is infamous for his uh, black blackmailing and operations during back in the day. Even, even though his, uh, own, his own lifestyle made himself eminently blackmailable. Yes, exactly. Who knew? So, so, Who yeah, knew that exactly. J. Edgar Hoover was dressing up in women's clothes that night? 
<laughs> well, uh, everyone has their different <laughs> taboo, I guess. But, uh, but but things like this is really serious, and it's not a joking matter. No, it's not. The no, no, it's not. No, and things like that. So I have to really say it's an absolute travesty that um, that the higher echelons, uh, well, have acted like they have done, especially with the right and left, uh, all the you know mediocrity about it. So what's Let's your, fair, I mean, in conclusion, my friend, what's your, your gut feeling? Suicide, my, my, as, assisted suicide or murder? No, no, it's, it's, it's re I have a really hard time to fathom that, that uh, he actually committed suicide, to be honest, because of a simple point. Because when they're sitting in a cell like that, those cells, that, that place, that wing that they are sitting, they are actually called the terror wing. wing. Mm. And that's the place where you have high-profile people, the people that are, uh, well, so let's say there's a high risk that either they're going to get killed if they're in a public prison, you know, open to the public population, or, uh, or that, uh, well, that they might kill themselves. So I have a really hard time imagining that this man, Epstein, would uh, compromise himself or release anything on the, the higher profile people or the people in circle. There have been some, there have been, uh, well, different uh, uh, chatter, so to say, in, on the internet. A lot of people have pointed out that those, these real high profile people that are in the certain uh, peculiar situ uh, positions, they actually want to get rid of him and et cetera. But at the same time, <clears throat> this man is, uh, He's a bit of a different. Uh, well, basically, you want to burn your asset if he's if he's unreliable. Yeah. But in this case, well, even I if he actually... wasn't, even if he wasn't unreliable, even if he was going to do his best to protect uh, uh, his uh, connections, uh, he was still a danger because in the thrust of a court process, any number of things could have emerged. So it seems to me uh, that they were afraid that he would seek to trade his knowledge with the prosecutors uh, for a shorter prison sentence than the 46 years he was facing on these charges. And uh, somebody decided we can't live with that. So I think murder is the most likely uh, of the three possible uh, reasons behind his demise. My friend in Sweden, thank you very much indeed for that call more hellos from argentina montpellier in france florida nigeria the uae and many many more lucy says love seeing and hearing from young voices and female journalists keep up the good fight yes we've had a good few of those epstein fourth uh, three one street fourth thirty one street says it's extremely common practice for correctional facilities in the US to have cameras in suicide watch cells so that the prisoners can be monitored 24 hours a day by guards. I wouldn't be surprised if they intentionally brought him to a cell without a camera. And uh, 2013 Boudica says, I don't assume that Epstein is dead. I join the dots differently. Well, the only reason why I'm reluctant to agree to that is the number of people who would have to know uh, that 
Epstein was not dead, but alive and well and somewhere else, if you know what I mean, is probably too large for them to get away with. Many, many more messages and callers to come after the break. Ask Adam is, of course, the main feature of the third hour. The number is 02077 or if you're tweeting us at George Galloway at GG Motes, make sure you hashtag Ask Adam so that it can be brought quickly to the genius's attention. I'm George Galloway. This is the mother of all talk shows. I'll be back. Well, Adam, welcome uh, back to the show. But before we proceed, you and I had uh, uh, a cracking night uh, in Dudley Town Hall Indeed. on uh, Friday night. 245 people there. And um, we've got uh, others coming up. There's Liverpool in the Liner Hotel. There's Leicester at the uh, Sioux Townsend Theatre. There's East Kilbride in the, in the new year. We'll get up the details uh, shortly. Uh, but the idea is to take the mother of all talk shows on the road so that people can actually meet us uh, as well as just watch us and listen to us uh, through a radio or on screen. It's a good idea, isn't it? Well, it can be like sort of the spinal tap version of a radio show, the sights, the sounds, the smells of two political connoisseurs and a distinguished parliamentarian. And also we've got a saxophonist, I do believe, we haven't do. we? Uh, Brian Travers, the genius, Indeed. the founder, the legend of UB40, uh, is uh, on the tour with us. And between the three of us, I mean, funnily enough, all three of us are very interested in music. Yeah, quite so. All three of us have been musicians, yes. not in Brian's League, or, <laughs> no. of course, uh, but we're also interested in culture, in politics, in all kinds of things. And that's why people ask you uh, such uh, obscure questions. Here's one from Hassan Diwan. Uh, ask Adam, I hear the American media pronounce the name Epstein, whilst you, me, producer Epstein, which is correct? Ask Adam. Well, I would ask Jeffrey himself, but apparently he's indisposed. Only he knows that answer, but I have a feeling that the reason that he may have been suicided was because he knew the answers to some questions that were a bit more geopolitically impactful than the correct pronunciation of I'm his not being uh, uh, crazy, am I, when I say that it just doesn't ring true? It doesn't have the ring of truth the official story. It's one of those things where the, the liberal elite have, they, they've invested so much time and effort into calling anyone who dares question authority something that these people, when they were young, a lot of them in the 60s and 70s and protesting the Vietnam War in the Sorbonne in France, uh, outside of the US Embassy, as you were quite rightly protesting the Vietnam War, these people have drifted so far into authoritarianism, into a pro-war mentality, into a pro-elite mentality, Mentality, that they're frankly worse than the old elites. Mm. It, it's a bit like what we've discussed before about Tony Blair's desecration of the House of Lords. Yes, it was undemocratic before, but there was something almost quaintly elegant about this ancien regime of people uh, being in Parliament as Lords by virtue of their hereditary background. Now you've got booze merchants, weapons merchants, pornographers, uh, people with guttural mouths, and if you're a frequent 
and listener to this show, you'll know exactly who I'm referring to. And what you've got in the media is something quite similar. Now, anyone, the, the, it, if these people today were the elite in the media in the 1970s, they would have called Woodward and Bernstein conspiracy theorists oh, and bots. That's a and very, the rest very of it. good point. Uh, uh, what but a conspiracy theorist were. Woodward and Bernstein, but they turned out to be right. Indeed. Look at the Pentagon Papers, the same logic yeah, applies. Haven't we learned that if, if it looks like a turd, smells like a turd, it might actually be a turd? Quite. That or a liberal elite. <laughs> but let's not be too oxymoronic. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some questions. Adam, why is Trump so annoyed at the Fed for not cutting the interest rate more? What's his plan? I need an idiot's guide to economics because it really confuses me. Which actors are aiming to achieve what? What could go wrong for stronger or weaker economies around the world? Right. I suppose the best way to introduce my views on that are to say I think the Federal Reserve should be abolished. I think the United States of all nations as the leading economy should save itself, its people and the world by going back to sound money, which means a gold standard which would be out of the hands of the Treasury and the White House and there would be no Fed at all. Uh, we're not there, unfortunately. Where we are is the fact that Trump and Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve that he appointed, like to play this game of cat and mouse. Powell is generally a monetary conservative, unlike people like Bernanke and Greenspan, who started out his life as a monetary conservative and then started printing money like a drunken sailor in front of a broken slot machine outside of a bordello in Las Vegas. Uh, Powell, though, uh, did eventually relent and he cut the interest rates, which is a for which it loosens the money supply and inevitably creates more inflation if not today, then tomorrow. Now, Trump is of the point of view today, quite unlike how he was on the campaign trail, where he wants more money to be flushed into the economy so that a bubble can grow and grow. But we all know... Just in time for his... So long as it bursts after the election, that's what he's after. So Trump is being a politician and the chairman of the Federal Reserve is being the chairman of the Federal Reserve. I want monetary policy out of both of their hands so that we can get back to an age of responsibility and realism. And as we discussed on an episode of our History Boys series, which is, I suppose, being written in the stars or at least <laughs> perhaps someday, a lot of commentary about that in Dudley, by the way, I explained that it was the First World War which bankrupted Britain and forced the British Empire off the gold standard and it was the disastrous war in Vietnam that destroyed the Bretton Woods system. There were other factors too but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. The gold standard doesn't like war and war doesn't like the gold standard. Fascinating. Uh, Zodiac 9 says why do minority opposition leaders in Russia seem to be getting themselves deliberately barred from standing in elections. Is it for Western audiences? I presume this is a reference to uh, some protests going on in Russia over the last week or two. I'm not sure what he means by minority because these people, uh, at least Navalny, the most famous of which, he's a, an ethnic Russian and quite a racialistic one at that. I think he means minority politically. Yes. Minor. 
And as so in minor. What's going on is there's two things. There are people like Navalny who likes a good provocation. Some even uh, say, and it is a conspiracy theory, but it's one worth voicing, that he's on the payroll of the Kremlin because no actual legitimate opposition leader could be that uh, farcical in terms of his street provocations. There is another element of people in Russian society who don't want to overthrow the state, who don't want to d diverge and to descend into anarchy, but they're worried about the economy. The economy hasn't done what a country with Russia's potential, with its educated populace and with its innumerable natural resources ought to do. So there's that combination of people who are quite upset and have every right to be, and then there's the street provocateurs playing it up for the cameras. That's just the way it is right That's now. This is what's happening in Hong Kong too. Uh, when I saw these protesters, literally carrying U.S. flags and singing the U.S. national anthem, I knew that that was the end of the protest movement in Hong Kong. I mean, as a provocation, it doesn't get much more absurd than that. Well, the Hong Kong uh, protests, which are now better described as riots, began with a specific aim to have a piece of legislation repealed. Now, mind you, this legislation that they were introducing was simply about targeting criminals who flee from other parts of China to Hong Kong. Yeah. And they would only be sent back to the mainland if a Hong Kong judge, according to Hong Kong law, approved. And a great number of high court judges in Hong Kong are white and English. Not a lot of people know that. But the judges remain, even though the politicians are now Chinese. And the other thing was, they could only be sent to a court in the mainland if the crime that the person stood accused of was a crime in Hong Kong. This means that the law was far more limited in scope than interstate justice venue issues in the United States. And then the European arrest warrant, which the used to harangue and persecute Julian Assange. Be that as it may, that law is now off the books. But the protests became riots. The, the, there has been harassment of the elderly, of immigrants, particularly legal South Asian immigrants working in Hong Kong. And these people are really shooting themselves in the foot, not least because when Kashmir is on fire and when there's other parts of the world where the people who are about to be killed en masse, seeing a bunch of first world spoiled brats moaning about first world problems and Hong Kong has much higher living standards than Moscow, it really does seem a bit farcical. But the real worry is that civilians will get hurt, whether it's the elderly, whether it's immigrants, whether it's random people targeted by the increasingly vicious rioters. Uh, someone, uh, who is it? It's a non-group thinker, says, when I heard of the Epstein suicide, my very first thought was David Kelly, weapons mm -hmm. inspector. Indeed. The royal family have already covered up their boys' tracks as they have always in the past. No justice for the poor George. I, I must say, the, the, as someone who's making a film about David Kelly, uh, whenever anything like this happens, the whole Kelly story comes flooding back to me. And I'm sure our, uh, our director, Sean Murray, We'll have seen uh, some of the angles. Maybe we'll do a film on Epstein after <laughs> we've done Kelly. Uh, Tom Papalardo says, I am willing to go on record saying Epstein is probably alive, but how long the Mossad will keep him alive is entirely another question. According to George Galloway's latest video, nobody knows where the hell Ghislaine Maxwell is, so perhaps they're having a reunion. I, I mean, of course, it's possible. 
that it was a ringer that was uh, carried out on a gurney uh, from the correction facility and down to the hospital. But it's quite likely that he's dead, I would think. Well, there's always a possibility that he's with some other Central Europeans of an infamous nature, eating that lovely Patagonian steak in Argentina. Uh, I don't know, we don't know, no one does know. It is a possibility, but as you said in the previous hour, it's highly unlikely because a lot of people that could sell the mother of all stories, to coin a phrase, uh, would have to keep their mouth shut. Exactly. And in this day and age, that's increasingly difficult. Increasingly difficult, yeah. And uh, Ms. Jennifer James says Jeffrey Epstein was obviously the go-to paedophile pimp for the repulsive sociopaths of the business class and their weak-minded sycophants now bumped off by the state to protect the guilty. That's pretty much the whole case, isn't it, that one? Yes, absolutely right. And I have to say, if there's any silver lining, one paedophile, one more paedophile has been sent to hell in my view and I make absolutely zero apologies for taking some satisfaction and that a man who has been convicted and therefore is responsible for one of the worst crimes known to the human condition is in another world and it's certainly not this one. It ain't heaven either. Well said. X-ray vision. The more it sinks in, the more outraged I'm becoming. The Jeffrey Epstein affair is elitist crime. Uh, now, uh, M.A. says we need to stop calling them the elite and start calling them the vile. That's <laughs> a good point, too. Yes. Uh, WTS Pod Radio says given that Epstein was most likely murdered to have him silenced, where do we go from here? How and when will the guilty be held to account or will they continue to be untouchable? Superseller says when I hear Epstein's suicide, I think of Dr. David Kelly suicide. And Southwold L10 says, hello George, explosive show and no mistake. My cynicism as far as international politics goes usually knows no bounds. But these facts you and Miss Webb are revealing regarding Epstein are twisting my brain in knots with shock, disbelief and disgust. And Dan Holiday 23 says, we are fools if we don't realize these people have places to hide and never be seen again to live in luxury. Of course, the flaw in that is why did they rearrest Epstein in the first place? He'd already been uh, subject to court proceedings. He'd already pled to a much lesser charge. Uh, he served it in laughably comfortable conditions, uh, getting visits from girlfriends, conjugal visits, and so on, even being allowed to go back to his mansion uh, whilst on, whilst supposedly in prison, uh, and allegedly even visited by children, underage girls, uh, whilst he was serving the prison sentence. So why would they arrest him again if their plan was to, you know, smuggle him out? pretending he was dead. I think the person who can answer that question best is dead. Or is he in Argentina? Or is he in Mongolia? Or is he in the Witness Protection Program? Uh, but I, I think one of the issues here is that whenever there's an issue where the elites seemingly turn on one of their own, it's because of one main reason. One elite has pissed off another one. And it's typically because of an issue to do with money. So it could well have been that, or it could well 
well have been that this Attorney General took a different view than previous ones, but the actual machinations of who did what and why the book was reopened on a man who was convicted but lived in the lifestyle of an exonerated man... And, and will... still with all these uh, important friends. You know, they knew he'd been convicted, they knew he'd been imprisoned, but they still kept hanging around uh, Epstein. Yes, quite right. Now, Jesse's on the line in New York. Let's hear from Jesse. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. So, I just wanted to talk about the Palestinian movement in the 1970s. Okay. I it's, mean, it's a bit there off are topic, a lot. But go ahead. Oh, okay. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think it's. <laughs> It's very well to talk about the Israel lobby and the war in Iraq, and we all know about that, but is there any criticism of when Palestinians used to do attacks in Europe, in Greece, in France? We remember when they would hijack all sorts of European airplanes, and yet people seem to idealize, like Leila Khalid and the secular Palestinians. I mean, they were more internationally oriented than Hamas. so. I think it's like we're putting that under the rug, right? But, well, what is your point, caller? Um, who praised them here? My point is that the Palestinians seem to be as vicious as the Israelis, and I don't see them as some sort of martyred population. I see them as both very backwards and both very greedy. How vicious are the small children uh, being uh, killed every day in the occupied territories or in Gaza, are they vicious? Yeah, they attack well, airplanes with dead children and old women. They hijack so many airplanes, no, they no, blew no, no. some I'm out of the about, sky. No, no, I'm not talking about the 1970s. I'm talking about this year. Uh, all these Palestinian yeah, children this, that have been killed, are they vicious? No, I, I'm saying today the Israelis seem like the bad guys, but you know, well, seem you've like, been supporting... Do you mean seem like or are? Do you mean seem like or are? I mean, they I, are, I'm but in the I'm, 70s, I'm struggling to find your point here. You supported them even when they did terrible things. You don't uh, own, that's uh, the point. Well, that's not, of course, the point of tonight's program, but I'm happy to answer you. The Palestinian people had their country wiped off the map. Their people scattered to the four corners of the earth. Palestine no longer existed. A Palestinian was no longer a legal status. Millions of them were living in the 1970s in refugee camps in neighboring countries, in indescribably uh, uh, squalid and impoverished conditions. Nobody cared about it. I did, and I raised my voice on behalf, not of a hijacker, but on behalf of a hijacked people whose country had been taken from them and who had been driven into penury and to perdition. So if you're asking me to regret or lament or to uh, re resile from a stand I began to take in the 1970s, well, you'll have a long wait uh, for that. But maybe come back when we're actually discussing Palestine, if you want to have another goal. Adam, um, interesting uh, call uh, from uh, Jesse in New York. It is extraordinary the 
myopia which exists, which reduces the entire Palestinian people uh, to a political organization. He mentioned Hamas, he mentioned Leila Khaled. But of course, the vast majority of Palestinian people are either just refugees or people living under illegal occupation, or in the case of the Gaza people, an unrelenting siege. Well, quite right. And perhaps uh, the caller from New York would like to talk to that George Habash lookalike known as David Cameron, who once described Gaza as an open-air prison. No member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, he. And speaking of which, there is also the interesting point, which I'm sure someone willing to demonize the Palestinians as a people wouldn't agree with, but the horrible Pan Am flight that was hijacked and plummeted to the ground over Lockerbie, Scotland, that was blamed on Libya, and that was, in my view, a very obscure, unofficial, unsanctioned Palestinian organization called Popular Front for the Liber Liberation of Palestine Central Command, no relation to Mr. Habash's organization. And so that's an issue where actually Libya, which is nowhere near Palestine, was blamed for something that a very obscure Palestinian group did. But to blame civilians, to blame children who were born long after Habash and Arafat and anyone else you might love, loathe, or in between uh, have died of natural causes, it, it's, it's not only inane, but it obfuscates the very point that people who yeah. want peace are trying yeah, to make. It's a, it's a look over there uh, Quite. maneuver. Look let's, to the past, not the present. Yeah, let's take a quick break. Let's talk to Connor on the line. Where are you, Connor? Hillhead, George. In Hillhead, my old stamping ground. Very nice to hear from you. Yeah, I knew that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. You have blocked me on Twitter, but after this call, I hope that I can change your mind. Okay, go ahead, sir. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Okay, this is Claudio from Catalonia. Oh, my goodness, we lost Connor. Who am I now talking to? Claudio? Claudio's from Catalonia, Spain. Oh, I'm very, very glad to hear from you, sir. What would you like to ask? Um, the Americans uh, uh, took, took away El Chapo, uh, El Chapo Guzman, I think it was last year, because they thought Mexican system and the Mexicans uh, weren't, weren't up, up, uh, up, to the, up to standards. Oh, to, yeah, to they wanted to try him themselves. Now, <laughs> now they fumble the ball with, with this, with Epstein, which is uh, arguably far more important asset and, and far more dangerous mm. uh, and uh, so this just completely beggars belief that that they that they 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 sneeze on the on the Mexicans not knowing how to how to keep someone important yeah, in yeah. Their, the in Mexican their, justice their... system uh, wasn't good enough for uh, El Chapo thanks for that uh, what do you say Adam on that well, I think that the only good drug dealer is one who faces similar punishments to a pedophile, and because this culture of depravity can't really be compartmentalized. But in terms of, of the legal issues, it does seem like with El Chapo, they wanted to make some sort of example of him, where with Epstein, they did not want, or Stein perhaps, they didn't want to make a, an example of themselves as people involved with that. It's easy to throw someone under the bus when there aren't any passengers. 
murders. We saw it with Noriega, who was the CIA's best friend, right up until the moment he wasn't. We see it with other various uh, kingpins and warlords and drug lords in Latin America, who sometimes work with the empire, as it were, and then when they're useless, they're just sort of expanded like ash from a fag. But with uh, Epstein, he was something far worse than expendable. He was knowledgeable. He was the man who knew way, way, way too much. Amazing. Thanks for that call from Spain. Connor's back on the line from Glasgow Hillhead, my first parliamentary yeah. constituency. Connor, welcome back. Yes, can I quickly tell you a quick anecdote before I... Yes. ...about Hillhead and your constituency bus? Yes, go ahead. About that time where you were called a bastard. And a Catholic, and your mother said uh, he's he's no bastard. Yes, yes, but we'll we'll try not swear on the on the air. Moving swiftly on, Connor. It's about Imran Khan's call to the UN to be involved in Kashmir. Uh huh. And how, and how this is just a major cause on the UN failed over the last sixty years. I think it was nineteen forty-three. Yeah. Yeah, good point. No, no, it was, it was after 43, but uh, Adam, just as we're running out of time, what, what is the point of asking the UN uh, to solve the problem in Kashmir, given that it's been on the UN's books uh, since uh, the 1950s? Well, in theory, the UN is the last best chance to promote peace, promote human rights, and save future generations from the scourge of war. That last part is lifted directly from the preamble of the Charter of the UN. That's the theory bit. The practice bit is that the UN has been so consistently and persistently impotent on this issue of Kashmir, not only because the organization itself is barely fit for purpose anymore, but because so many countries think, I think a bit wrongly, that India is going to be a bigger economic power than it's actually going to be, that they're putting the interests of their pocketbooks ahead of not just a, a desire to stop genocide, but a, what ought to be a, a, an even less, a more, a more dispassionate, I should say, desire to end nuclear war. If you can't think with your heart on this issue, at least think with your head. And I am reminded of the politicians who fill the General Assembly and the fill that are made after there's a genocide, after there's ethnic cleansing, after there's mass rape, thinking, how could we let this happen? They're letting it happen right now. The world is about to turn a very dangerous corner in Kashmir if something isn't done. And if the UN is the best the world can do, I have great, a great deal of apprehension for the people of Kashmir and for the peace of the wider region and indeed the world. Connor, last word to you, my friend. Yeah, I don't think you can expect any difference from the UN this time. Except China is uh, extremely angry about this latest move, uh, and they can't allow it to stand. And yeah, they're fully cool. supporting Pakistan. And uh, who, wants, uh, who wants a war with China? Hands up for a war with China. You'd need to be well, insane, uh, wouldn't you? Uh, as a member of the Bank of China in Glasgow, uh, I can tell you that the Chinese aren't worried about India. They've been planning uh, major expansion for decades now, so the Chinese aren't worried about the Indians. And I've been to India, it's a wonderful place. The culture's amazing, the economy's booming, and the food is unbelievable as well.
Okay, uh, thanks. Uh, while you enjoy the uh, Indian food, uh, the people in Kashmir are wondering if they'll be alive tomorrow. But thank you anyway uh, for that deeply complacent uh, postscript. Um, we're asking Adam uh, a lot of different questions. One of them uh, persists. It is trying to place your accent. Now, you, you warned me that you'd rather reveal the source of your accent on stage at one of these uh, roadshows. Can we say it'll be at Liverpool or might it be? Let's say might because we don't want to make Leicester feel all disappointed now, do we? <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, OK, any more calls, Tamar? Take a Skype call now, why don't we? Let's hear from the Skype. Yeah. Hello, George. Louisa here from the south of France, where it's hot and sticky yet again. Uh, still summer. So what's my contribution going to be this time? Well, um, I listened to a couple of your, your Kalima horror shows this week. Uh, it's not a great name when you say it, like a horror show. It's great when you read it. It's, it's, like, it's, it's great in Arabic. Uh, but the one on the Silk Road, um, I listened to Adam's comments and I was a wee bit disappointed because nobody, um, nobody mentioned the rapprochement between China and Russia in all this. Or if they did, I missed it. Um, and I find that a bit strange. So I have a question for Adam, in fact. Um, well, what exactly is the Shanghai Pact? And can I contribute to everybody's guessing about where Adam comes from? Uh, Adam, are you from the Philippines? <laughs> Look forward to, to listening to you very soon. That is an intriguing. Uh, keep up the good work. That what is an intriguing uh, possibility, but uh, you'll have to wait at least until Liverpool for an Indeed. answer uh, to that. Uh, Russia and China have very close relations now, military cooperation, economic, and also political coordination at the UN for the most part in relation to the Iran crisis, for example, uh, to the Syria uh, conflict. Um, that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, indeed. And if one's memory loss got refreshed in 1969, one might think it novel that everything you just mentioned is true. But Russia and, and what was then, the, pardon me, China and what was then the Soviet Union began the rapprochement as early as 1989. Gorbachev, a man that I dislike very much, visited Dong Xiaoping, one of my heroes, in 1989. And this began a cycle which created the inevitable locomotion which has led to the state where we are now. Russia and China behave very differently in the international arena, although generally they behave quite similarly at the UN. Kashmir might uh, cause some division there. I certainly hope it does not. The more people on side for Kashmir, the better. But in general, Russia and China have incredibly productive relations. Russia, which is the largest country in the Eurasian Economic Union, just signed a 
free trade agreement with the Chinese that is currently in effect. So that is going to be important in and of itself and of course important when it comes to building the wider Belt and Road Initiative. Well, Louisa, I hope that was uh, satisfactory. While I'm waiting for more calls, let me say Mary Moore in Belfast says, can you imagine the dirt they have on uh, the Epstein thing for all this to happen? Can you even begin to imagine? I don't think we could. It's probably just the tip of the iceberg. Someone needs to unload the whole can of worms and to think Julian Assange is in prison and these people are walking free. Quite right. I mean, I worry about Julian in that jail. I worry about him a lot more if he's ever sent to an American jail. Let's take a quick break. We have the legend that is Norma on the line. Norma! Hello, George. No show is complete. What would you like to ask? Well, it's a very interesting program tonight. Thank you. I have got an echo on the line. No, you keep saying that, but none of us can hear it. Can hear it. It's, okay. only, it's only in your heart. Anyway, go no, on. No, it's not. <laughs> anyway, um, on a lighter note, because we've had such serious things talking about tonight. This week, um, Norwich Cathedral had a Helter Skelter installed. I don't know if you saw it on the news. And the bishop was shown sliding down it. Now, she said it would um, bring more people into the cathedral and be a light, more light-hearted place. But basically, say you were mourning a loved one and wanted a quiet moment in the cathedral, and you found people slipping down the health skelter. Uh, I don't think Jesus would have liked that. I wonder what you think. The indignity of all. What would Jesus think of that? Adam, what do you think of it? I think it's utterly appalling. It's, we're, we're living in a world where they want to regulate our lives and they want to essentially make it so that we're not human beings but we're living in a kind of godless autocracy and yet we're churches that should have some decorum where regulations mean something because they're based on tradition and they're based on trying to promote serenity. They're turning it into the fun fair. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's... A cathedral with with a helter-skelter it, It's it. symptomatic of everything that's frankly wrong with the world today, where they're being dogmatic about secular civilian life, but it's a free-for-all in a cathedral. It's the opposite that's the proper thing to do. That used to be obvious, and I have to give a hat tip, even though I'm not the one with the hat, to Dr. Alan Sked, who was on the Mother of All talk shows recently, because he's been tweeting about it, and he, I think, agrees uh, with Norma, yourself, and mm. me. Mm. Well, Norma, it would never happen in the one holy Roman Catholic and apostolic church. No, that so is I, true. I, I, I presume this is a Church of England place. It was the Norwich Cathedral. And I mean, the, you have the actual um, bishop sliding down it. Now, I, I like having a bit of fun, but... Yeah, but not in say. church. Churches oh, are not... Oh, I thought it was awful. Churches are not for fun. Norma, thanks. That's a very interesting and indeed light-hearted. Uh, diversion. Uh, we've got an army officer on the line. I think his name is Max, and he's very welcome. Uh, he's fast becoming a legend himself. Max, welcome back. Thank you. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, hope you're well. Just want to ask, uh, in light of the right-wing BJP and how they're becoming a bit more um, thorough in their persecution of their other ethnic groups in India, is there a chance that 
the BJP uh, or in India, they're, they're anticipating some kind of mini civil war uh, from its Sikh, uh, Muslim and lower caste Hindi population. And the reason I ask this question is because if you look at uh, other states in India, such as Manipur, which is in northeast India, they've been they're a different they're a different ethnic group, almost Oriental Indians, but they've been they've had the same kind of oppression from the Indian government. I just want to see your, your thoughts on that. Well, it's a brilliant uh, question. Alas, the hour means we can't give it the justice it uh, deserves. But uh, our army officer friend is right, isn't he? That Modi is not just at war with uh, Kashmir. He's at war with minorities within India proper. Uh, the Sikh people are under uh, uh, unrelenting oppression, intensifying oppression. Uh, Christians are being discriminated against. Indian Muslims are being attacked, many murdered yes. uh, on uh, often false allegations that they're eating cows and so on. It is descending into a vortex of extreme danger, Modi's India. Absolutely right. And far from anticipating a civil war, they're promulgating the causes which lead to a civil war. And for all of the important reasons that you just defined, India is quick becoming a prison of nations. And I think that what's going on in Kashmir, there's many reasons for it. The other week I mentioned uh, what's happening with the changing situation in Afghanistan. Samir and yourself earlier discussed some of the internal electoral reasons uh, and nationalistic, hyper-nationalistic reasons why it's happening. But there's another reason, which is next year there's going to be a referendum in Indian Punjab uh, by the Khalistan movement, the Sikhs seeking justice. And this is about creating a Sikh homeland in Punjab, one that is free from the kinds of brutality that saw the Golden Temple and its occupants being destroyed and slaughtered, respectively, in the early 1980s. And I think that with what is going on with Kashmir, there's a message that the BJP want to send to many people, not least of all the Sikhs, to try to warn them off and frighten them from holding the peaceful and democratic referendum in 2020. And as I've said before, and we've got to say it again, if these trends continue, India is going to become a prison of nations, not just in terms of regions and ethnic groups, but in terms of religions, in terms of costs, because the down costs in individuals. The Dalits are being discriminated against terribly by the RSS and the various vigilante mobs that are being, in many cases, actively encouraged by the ruling party. It's a very, very grim outlook that one who has open eyes needs to take. Last word to you, Max. No, I, yeah, it's a shame I called so late, but um, absolutely agree with that and uh, nail it on the head. And I just wanted to highlight, you know, the people in Kashmir are suffering, but if you ever read into what's happening in Nagaland and Manipur, just because they are Oriental Indians. I mean, they are, it's, it's, it's the exact same truth as Kashmir, but you know, thank you for accepting my call tonight, guys. Thank you. Terrific, thank always you. a pleasure. Uh, Matty White Esquire, you know, uh, uh, One of Jacob Rees-Mogg now All the King's horses and all Mr. Rees-Mogg's men, yes. Something tells me Adam has spent formative years in and around India. Not because he seems in particular very knowledgeable and interested in that region, but there's something telling me he may have connections. 
Anything in that, Adam? No, and I think it's probably a troll who's asking it too. Some of them, some of them aren't particularly creative, I have to say. Let's uh, take an anonymous caller. Yes. Hi, George. I just, hi, I just, I just wanted to make a comment on the uh, Epstein uh, suicide. Yes. I feel like this is another indication of the stresses the U.S. justice system is undergoing and the fallibility and flaws within it. And it just, you know, it adds to the lack of trust, I think, myself and I'm sure a lot of people have with the justice system. And I, it's not just the Epstein case, but you also have, you know, mass incarceration of uh, minorities, Afri particularly black uh, Americans. Um, and then even, I, dare I go into even the nomination of the Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, mm -hmm. who before a a committee of, of uh, a bipartisan members, a panel, who were uh, testing his ability to be a Supreme Court justice, the Supreme, he, he, he threatened these, the members because of the, uh, I mean, he did go through some, uh, you know, some unfair treatment, but nevertheless uh, did not act according to what one would expect a Supreme Court justice to behave in, it was, it, to respond ca calmly. And he even threatened them, threatened them directly. It was not missed on, on any of the elites and, and even on the, uh, the, the, the congressmen um, or, or the senators. And they didn't, they didn't do anything about it. They just they swore him in, nevertheless. And so the, this is just part of a spectrum of problems, I feel, the U.S. justice system has. And I think that with this Epstein case, I mean, I see some of the news, they're parading it as if it's some sort of unfortunate suicide without any, any dose of suspicion around no. it, We're given, I, the imp given the implications. I doubt so, if the people watching and listening to it, though, uh, are as uncurious, uh, because uh, the story just doesn't really add up. Uh, as I said right at the beginning of the show, either the US justice system is run by idiots or it's run by corrupt knaves, uh, because only an idiot would leave someone at the center of what was going to be one of the trials of the century, having been told he was suicidal, would leave him unattended with no camera in his cell so that he might commit suicide. That's if they're idiots. If they're worse than idiots, then they accepted a bribe, either from him or someone else, to give him the time and space, maybe even the rope, to commit suicide. Or somebody killed him. It's one of these three, isn't it? I totally agree. Yeah, I just, it's foul, foul play. It just stinks of foul play. And I think this is, this is the moment when, you know, journalists, the media in the U.S., they have to be tested about how willing are they to push for answers for an yeah. investigation. Yeah. Because we cannot just, you know, this is a legal, this is a justice system of the United States we're talking about. This is the most powerful country in the world, militarily, economically. How can anybody stand for something like this and just take it sitting? It's yeah. unacceptable. Yeah. It's really unacceptable if we're talking about this, uh, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm very curious about what's going to happen, how, you know, um, how the media are going to start, you know, asking, prodding for questions. And, and here in the U.S., I can, I can already say there's, there's a censorship about it. There's not enough talk. There's not enough uproar. Well, if you stay tuned to Sputnik, I'm sure there'll be plenty more talk. Thanks very much for that very powerful call.
I don't know uh, why you anonymized yourself. No doubt you had good reasons. But don't be a stranger. Come back any time. Adam, uh, it is true what the gentleman said, isn't it? That actually there's nothing aberrant about this. Uh, these kind of things happen in the U.S. justice system all the time, which is just one of the many reasons why it would be sheer folly for the British courts to send Julian Assange into the maw of this injustice system. Well, that is certainly not only the elephant in the room when we're talking about this issue, but it's quite frightening. Epstein was a man who was only valuable for his testimony. He wasn't a man who gave to society. He was a man who took away not only from society, but from people's lives. Julian Assange, or Saint Julian as I refer to him, is a man who not only gave the best years of his life, but he gave his life's blood to tell people, to give people that most valuable commodity that one can give when he has nothing in his pockets but only that which he can type and speak. He gave people the truth and he gave people very important truths and if they can do this to a wretched pedophile that, that was part of the elite, imagine what they're capable of doing to a man who made his career exposing the exposing elite them, yeah. and a man whose virtue the elite see as vice. It, uh... It chills my blood, and it must chill the blood of Julian's family. Yes. Uh, that uh, depending on a British judge deciding on the extradition request, Julian might be in that very same place. It, it really beggars belief, and it's, it's, it's a dark stain on humanity when a man who, frankly, ought to be held up as yeah. one of the great figures of our time yeah. is being treated like a loathsome criminal. It's really a poor reflection, not only on the justice system, but on the political system, on the media system, and, in a way, on the social system. Uh, now, um, just for the uh, future, can I just remind you about Skypes? If you want to leave a Skype message... It's at GG Moach. You can leave it at any time in the course of the week and we will play it just like Louisa in the south of France did. Thanks very much, Louisa, for doing that. Um, let's see now. Cybrarian64 uh, says, Outstanding mother of all talk shows tonight. As Elizabeth reported, we are getting the deserved caliber of journalists on the show. And uh, Petrofade says the sheer efficiency with which Epstein was eliminated makes it impossible to believe that U.S. intelligence were not involved. It's a strong point, that, isn't it? Well, as I said the other day, it was a suicide and he was found hanging with the noose cast around the world's largest inverted comma. Um, it's not as clean an operation, though, as one might believe, because he allegedly so-called attempted suicide a week or two ago. That obviously was botched, depending on one's perspective, but this time someone got their wish. So it's quite efficient, but um, I've, see, I've seen more you've efficient. Seen, you've seen cleaner, cleaner. <laughs> Kills. Oh, if they wanted to get rid of me, they could do it a lot quicker, I'll <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> uh, now, Mohammed, uh, Mohammed Asif Ma, yeah, Mohammed Asif Ma, we condemn the Modi atrocities in Kashmir. Yeah, yeah. And Nightly Moth says, really good show so far, interesting stuff, especially enjoyed your discussion with Whitney Webb. She is a bit of a star is born moment, Absolutely. at least here in uh, this uh, country. Facebook and YouTube, 
Why is conspiracy theorist still perceived as a dirty word? That's one for you, Adam. There's a specific answer for that. Uh, when very few Americans believe that John Kennedy was assassinated in the way he was supposed to have been, according to the authorities of their day, the CIA and the national security uh, in the United States, the whole apparatus, said, let's weaponize the term conspiracy theorists. Let's make it sound nasty. Let's make it automatically discredit people. And they urged their friends in the media to promote the term uh, in order to achieve that. Weirdly, it had a limited effect because by the mid-70s, you had things like the Church Commi Committee, the Rockefeller Committee, and you actually had the CIA and other apparatus of the national security industry scrutinized openly by democratic bodies. We have fallen so far, even from the 1970s, where we, you had a situation in the middle of the 20th century where conspiracy theorists was a weaponized term after Kennedy, and by the mid-70s, Congress were conspiracy theorists by investigating these organizations. And now we've got to a stage where, frankly, we've gone backwards, but there is a silver lining. The Internet means that we can all access information and engage in debate, no matter who likes it or dislikes it. That's exactly right, and that's part of the function that this show is uh, fulfilling, uh, I think, on quite a grand uh, scale. Uh, for U.S. watchers and listeners, there will be a U.S. phone number from next week, uh, and you can uh, speak to the show on the show uh, via that. Uh, the British phone number, of course, will still continue. All the other coordinates uh, will remain the same. Do, re do remember uh, that uh, Adam and I and Brian Travers of UB40 and other friends are on tour with the Moats Roadshow, and we will be in Liverpool, Leicester, and East Kilbride. And that's just for starters. Adam, keep your suitcase packed, because there are many other venues uh, still to come. Uh, you can follow Adam uh, at Adam Gariel. That's right, on Twitter, which, uh, you know, social media is what it is, isn't it? It is. Twitter is important, though. We can't gainsay it. Quite well, right. it's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, please come back again to the same place at the same time next week and bring a friend with you. That way, we would double the audience at a stroke. Simple. Do the maths as the Americans say. Good night. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.